Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's heartbreaking penalty shootout defeat in the Europa League final to Villarreal. Carl, there's really not much to say about the final result. It's just heartbreaking more than anything. 1-1 over the course of 120 minutes. Moreno in the 29th minute, Cavani leveling in the 55th. And then you have a penalty shootout where the players combine to go 21 for 22. I know I've heard of other shootouts that just go on and on and on, but I think this is the first time I've seen one. That was a high-quality penalty shootout. I don't know if I can say the same about the game, but the shootout for sure was (laughs) high-quality. And that's probably the only thing that makes me feel a little better is that all 10 outfield players put the ball in the back of the net. Most of them were fantastic, bar Luke Shaw. And then it came down to our goalkeeper, who clearly doesn't take a lot of penalties. And you could see that (laughs) from his kick. And it just sucks because if that's the last game that he plays for Manchester United, uh, he deserved to go out on a better note. Yeah, I, I think I fully agree with you there. Going into the shootout, I I wanted them to win it for David De Gea. I wanted David De Gea to win it for himself. He has had, over the course of his 10 years, a career that he can be really proud of at Manchester United. Obviously, the last couple seasons have not been kind to him. Pretty much starting from the 2018 World Cup to where we are now. It has not been a good run for him. He has not been the same keeper. And so, yeah, if this is the end, it's, it's, a, it's a tough way to go out. You couldn't have drawn, it, drawn up a worse way to go out. You think about getting scored on 11 for 11 in the shootout, and then you're the one to miss to end it. <laughs> There's no way he could have thought of anything worse. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, though. Let's uh, look at how things started out. On the Villarreal side of things, they come out with, you know, as expected, a 4-3-3 kind of in attack, but more or less a 4-4-2 without the ball. Very solid, very tight. The key players, we were, we all had one set of eyes for Pau Torres and how he was going to perform in this match. I don't think people will have too many complaints if they saw him in a United jersey next season. From a United perspective, 4-2-3-1. As expected, in terms of the lineup that we predicted, it was just Fred who was out, and you had Mason Greenwood in there. Initially, I thought it was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being brave and saying, hey, we're going to go for the jugular, we're going to set the tempo and be aggressive. But reading further, Fred picked up an injury, and so he hasn't been training much over the course of the week, he wasn't going to be ready to go the full 90 minutes. And that's why he was on the bench and the move was made to bring in uh, Mason Greenwood. Your thoughts? Yeah, it definitely surprised me. And I actually wasn't aware about the Fred news. So that makes a lot more sense. It definitely upset the balance of our team a little bit. You had Paul Pogba, who was who was doing really, really well on the left-hand side next to Bruno and helping take a little bit of the load off his shoulders. And that was upset because now Paul had to play deeper. He had a bit of defensive responsibility. And you could clearly see that United's tempo was lacking in the first 45 minutes. And that was because Villarreal was able to get back into position and defend. Paul Pogba was getting the ball so deep into his own half or at the halfway line, 
he couldn't affect the game as much. I guarantee you that if he got the ball further up the pitch, Villarreal would have a different strategy in place. And so it kind of played into their hands. You know, that kind of showed in the first half and it, it showed in how that first goal developed in the first place. I guess my question to you, Vivek, is do you think Manchester United missed Harry Maguire? On the goal, I would say so to an extent. I, I don't know if uh, Moreno could have cut through as easily as he did with Maguire's presence. And so 29th minute, Villarreal earn a free kick. You mentioned how deep Paul Pogba had to be. All of it kind of stemmed from the fact that he was deep and he was trying to play a long-range ball. Hits a Villarreal player and that's how they gain possession and then eventually earn the free kick. It comes in from the left side. Moreno, this is clearly something that they worked on in training. Moreno was the last man at the far post. And he's marked by Luke Shaw. And as soon as the moment comes, he peels inside. Luke Shaw completely lets him go. No sense of uh, contesting him. He gets ahead of Lindelof. Lindelof is trying to grab his jersey. Doesn't do much. Moreno is able to stab home his 30th goal in all competitions. Yeah, to me, the main culprits, Shaw and Lindelof. Lindelof, to me, once it's in that position, he just has to be more physical. And this is a criticism that we've made over and over and over again. Luke Shaw lets him go. You, that, that's key to all of this because, you know, fans looking at this might think, hey, this is Victor Lindelof's fault all the way. How can a guy be so free in the box, uncontested? You got to put a body on him. But the only benefit of the doubt I can give Lindelof is that this is a guy running in from his blind side. It's behind him. So Lindelof has to be aware of what's going on. You can see that he's feeling behind him and he's trying to pull the jersey. And I think instead of trying to concentrate on the ball, however, watching that replay a couple of times afterwards, I got to give credit to that free kick. That ball was in a fantastic position between goalkeeper and defender. Because I looked at it a couple of times. Even if Victor Lindelof jumped, he would not have gotten that ball. That's how good that ball was. So, you know, we talk about zonal marking. And there wasn't zonal marking on this case. But one of the advantages of zonal marking is that you disrupt momentum of the opposition. They're not able to get a run in, a clear run to build up that momentum, jump higher than the opposition. And then if the ball comes to them, they head into the back of the net. In this case, even if Luke Shaw knows he's not going to be able to catch up to this guy, you got to disrupt his run. you got to make him start from scratch again. You can't have him build up that momentum. And then to your point, Vivek, at that point, Victor Lindelof just has to make it as difficult as possible for this guy to concentrate on where the ball is coming and maintain his balance. You've seen it time and time again. When a player isn't close to the ball, they make sure that the, other, the opposition feels them to the point where they're now off balance, and then these headers don't go on goal. It happens a lot of times. Paul Pogba in the game was going for a header. He had an open header. Villarreal just put a body on him because they couldn't get close to the ball. What happens? The header goes over the bar. So these are some of the things that I think need to be done. And to your point, I don't know how many more times I'm going to say this, that Lindelof needs to be more physical. At some point, you just got to realize that he's not a physical player. And the Premier League might not be the league for him, or starting all 38 games might not be the game, uh, the, the 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 way to go. Yeah, I, I think that's the perfect way to sum it up. Uh, in 
that's going to be a priority uh, this summer. Now, United, as you mentioned, lackluster, 45 minutes, big matches. You want your best players to perform. One of the things you mentioned, you know, that, that lack of connectivity between Pogba and Bruno. And I think one of the tactics from Solskjaer that played right into Unai Emery's hands is it seemed as though Bruno was told to stay forward and to constantly press up. And I don't think that was a good move because there are a lot of times over the course of the season where Pogba has played in a deeper role and it has worked because Bruno is also deeper and they're connecting deeper up the pitch and then getting the ball forward. But here, you were almost isolating both of them. And so neither was really able to influence the game. You lost Pogba. You lost Bruno. Both of them take the blame too in terms of not being able to step up. And then Marcus Rashford was just abysmal. I You, you hate to have such a clear candidate for the Beckham boot in a huge match like this, but... There was no debate in my mind that he was the worst player on the pitch, let alone in a United jersey. I completely agree with you. I'm sure, you know, if you go on Twitter or, or any social media right now, probably majority of the blame is going towards David De Gea. And you're wondering why we're not picking David De Gea for the Beckham boot. Let's be honest. This game should have never gone to penalties. It should have never gone to extra time. And so part of the reason why that happened is because we were so lackluster in the final third. Marcus Rashford had a shocking game. Everything was off. Decision-making, he held onto the ball too long. You could clearly see it that the only time he was effective was when he released the ball early to Luke Shaw, who would then cross it because we were getting in behind the defense. They have a really good connection, but every time he held onto the ball when Luke Shaw made that run, you could clearly see Cavani already making his run and then having to reset time and time again because Marcus held on to the ball too long. And I think there was very, very poor decision-making from him. And it's disappointing. Yeah, it's you know what? It's been a long season, but this is the final. These are the games you kind of get got to get up for. And Ole placed faith in him because he left him on the pitch and took off Mason Greenwood. And clearly, that wasn't the right decision. And it's been a couple of times now where this has been the case. And Mason Greenwood should feel hard done by. Carl, quickly before we get to that, I want to ask you about an opportunity in the 25th minute. We're talking about how well Mason Greenwood played in this match. There was a ball that he hit from the right side that was inch perfect to Edinson Cavani, who was running onto it. And I was bamboozled that Cavani thought the better option was to try and square it for Rashford instead of just trying to volley it first time. Did that surprise you? It definitely surprised me, but it's almost, you know, this has happened a couple of times actually when I was watching the plays. It's There were a couple of times where the crosses were made and they were looking to square it up to someone running onto the ball in the center of the goal. So it almost looked like this was a tactic of theirs to say like, hey, Villarreal, uh, you know, close the ball so quickly that they leave that, you know, middle of the box open and there's an easy shot for someone. And so it looked like they were squaring it all day. But yeah, Cavani, the finisher, 
you know what? I would have loved if he had gone gone ahead and taken that chance. The way this season has played out, eventually he will take that chance. 55th minute. We have to first credit the work that Scott McTominay did to earn the corner. He absolutely was a bully in the box to make sure he got it, then got a shot off. And and I think Pogba was waiting too to see if he'd if it'd be squared for him, laid off for him. That didn't happen. Scott was really the driving force for United in this match. He might be the the Cantona caller of this match. I thought he was exemplary. Maybe, you know, there were a couple of times he had shooting opportunities where he could have done better. But beyond that, I thought his energy was excellent. His effort earned United the corner. It gets headed out. Marcus Rashford is the one who fires from outside the box. It gets deflected. Cavani pounces onto it, smashes it into pretty much the empty net because the keeper was at the right post and the middle of the net was pretty much empty. 1-1 after 55 minutes. What, what were you thinking? That was all grit and determination. The whole time I watched Scott play in that game, I'm like, this guy's playing like a captain mm-hmm. right now. He took the game by the scruff of the neck multiple times. How many times throughout the season have you seen Scott take the ball and drive up in midfield? It rarely happens because he's always passing it off to Bruno or Paul. In this situation... As the game went on, he realized, hey, I'm going to have to do this for us to increase the tempo. And he did it. A bit of his play, the, his determination, reminded me of Roy Keane, if I'm, not, if I'm being honest. And I was heavily impressed. No doubt the Cantona caller in my mind. I just thought that if a goal was going to come, it was going to be through Scott. If a winner was going to come, he was going to be involved in some way or another. And... I was very impressed. It's just, a, it's just a shame that he's on the losing end because he didn't deserve to be on the losing end. But these things happen, and hopefully it's a good learning experience. After that, you're looking at some of the chances that United had. 70th minute, I mean, I guess it's not really a chance because it was called uh, ruled offside. But I was flummoxed by how Marcus Rashford missed that. Bruno gets the ball wide right, sends it into the box, perfectly for him to tap in and he somehow puts it wide to me that was sort of an omen to hey maybe this is not your night maybe it's time to come off (laughs) even though it was offside but exactly a minute later Luke Shaw has the ball in the box and he's able to put it onto his right foot but I was so disappointed because he decided to shoot and Cavani was wide open and he took such a bad shot that he shot it at Cavani Cavani still (laughs) with his goal striking instincts tried to get it diverted onto goal and the defender was able to get in the way but it shows you if he would have just put in a decent cross that would have been in the back of the net yeah and it was such a fantastic move because he left Kapu on his backside. Mm-hmm. Shaw was having a good crossing night to that point, obviously all with his left foot. But just a little bit more composure. It's almost like he saw his name in yeah. lights and decided to go for it because of that you know, nasty move where he broke someone's ankles or whatnot. And, and, and you're right, it was, it was really disappointing. Vivek, just before that happened, I have a question for you because I feel like if Ole had done this, you would have got crucified. On the 60th minute, Carlos Baca was taken off 
Villarreal's only striker, and a midfielder was put in place. What were your thoughts on that? I thought that was shocking. I think that was Emery being real about his team and recognizing that United are feeling good after the goal and they're looking to apply pressure and that he needed more security. If a goal comes, it's going to come off a set piece anyway. If if not, they're going to go to a shootout. And they were perfectly comfortable with that, I think. This was, you know, I wouldn't call it quite parking the bus, but they knew what they were playing for. They knew how they were going to win this match. It wasn't going to be by being adventurous and showing that they could be the better team. They saw the United eleven. They accepted that, hey, this is an opponent that has more talent than us, but we are going to have to outwork them. We are going to have to win the 50-50 balls. We are going to have to get in the tackles. We are going to have to mark the hell out of Bruno uh, and Pogba. And even, you know, you, you mentioned that sub. There was another sub where he did sub the fullback. Because guess what? That's where United are at their most threatening. And so for him, maybe it was a case of prevention is better than cure. And can't argue that the move didn't pay off. The moves didn't pay off. I thought he I thought he got all his tactics spot on to be honest. You know, he accepted their second best when it comes to talent as you mentioned, specifically talent, nothing to do with hard work and giving 100%. Clearly Villarreal who finished 7th in the league knew their only hopes of playing in Europe was to win this. So you knew who was the most desperate of the mm-hmm. two teams. One team's already in the Champions League. Let's be honest, they want to be playing in the Champions League final, not the Europa final. At the end of the day, they do want a trophy. But it just looked like one team wanted to be there more than the other. And that's kind of what showed in the end. Now, Carl, just before the match went to extra time, I had my heart in my mouth because on the right side of the box, Pau Torres had the ball and he curled one with his left foot that went... I mean, it went well enough over the bar to not be too concerned, but... In that moment where he has the ball and he's about to take that shot, you're thinking this would be so poetic if he was the one to score in injury time to beat United. That was a hell of a shot. If that was on target, mm-hmm. that was a goal. That's how well he hit it and that's how well it was placed. Davidea had no chance. Quickly on Pau Torres then, on what you thought of his performance and, and the fact that you know this is... Someone, you think about the different needs at, at center back, someone who is so comfortable on his left foot and can clearly drive the ball forward, can clearly uh, hit the ball clinically. So, Vivek, what are we looking for in a center back that we're missing right now? We need someone with pace. Ideally, we'd li- we would like a left footed center back. We need someone who's good in the air, who's not afraid to get his head on the ball physicality am i missing anything <laughs> so i basically just described pau torres yeah. to you that's what i think of him he was positionally fantastic the amount of times the commentator said his name when we crossed the ball into the box and he got on the end of it numerous times okay some of it might have to do with the poor crossing from the right hand <laughs> side but let's forget about that for a second I just thought his reading of the game was fantastic. He knew where to be positionally and he was confident. I really hope that if he comes to United, 
the price tag or the the stature of the club doesn't weigh too heavily on him because if he just plays his natural game, he is a shoo-in in the Premier League with all the assets that he has. I, I really believe that. And I think he just needs to not get in his head and he'll be fine. What did you think of Pau? Very similar along the lines of what you thought. I thought this was a player that especially, uh, you know, with the comfort level that he showed on the ball, the calmness, I, I think what you mentioned about feeling pressure coming in, I think I saw everything I need to know about how he handles pressure when David De Gea took his sweet time before Pau Torres could take his penalty. And Torres just has to wait and wait and wait. And then he picks out the top left corner. That to me, <laughs> I think that told me all I need to know about how he handles pressure. So uh, I would love to see him in a United jersey. The only problem is losing this match ups that price tag because Villarreal have Champions League football to look forward to that they can now offer him. Vivek, either way, you know, if he's starting for Spain... His price tag is going up even more. We need to get the business done before the Euros start. So we need to sign this bloke within the next two weeks. (laughs) That's basically what I'm saying. Tie up a deal. I think the clause in his contract was run about, I want to say, mid-40s, millions of pounds. Man, pay 60 for this guy. I don't care. It's worth the money. There we go. Is, Is he your noisy neighbor candidate then? 100%. 100%. I thought he was fantastic because I was I was watching more Cavani's runs and where he was going as opposed to where the cross was coming into. And I was watching Pau Torres and the way he was looking at both the ball, Cavani's runs, making sure he was goal side every time. I think that's the most important thing. And positionally, being in a position where if he needs to clear the ball, he's clearing it into touch and not into his own net. Because we've also seen defenders who manage to get themselves between the player and the ball, but they end up deflecting it into their own net. I think Eric Bailly is one of those people who's great at getting himself in between because of his athletic ability. However, body position-wise, he's all Mm -hmm. over the place. And that's what causes half the problems for him. So, yeah, for me, noisy neighbor. What about you? I thought he was great. The only other person I really want to shout out is Danny Parejo. I thought he was very impressive as well. Really solid. Um, Another guy who looked very calm and stroked his penalty (laughs) nice and easy. Uh, But yeah, he'll uh, be someone that I'll give a shout out to. But Pau Torres takes the noisy neighbor, no question. Let's get into that extra time and penalty shootout. And the lack of subs. And the lack of subs and then the flurry of subs. (laughs) <laughs> right we didn't see a single substitution for 98 minutes and then we saw five in the span of the next 22 so what did you make of that and especially you know i think the two that seem to be talking points on social media are pogba coming off and david Gea not coming off so i mean the thought never once entered my mind to take off david De Gea for dean henderson I trust my keeper. He He's played in World Cups. He's got experience on his belt. I don't see any reason to take off David De Gea. He might not have the best record in penalties, but you go with him, man. He, he, he's been rolling. He's been having a good last couple of games. 
I don't see any reason to take him out. That's number one. Number two, I was thinking about this myself. I'm like, oh yeah, we usually see a sub. We usually see a sub in the 70th minute, 60th minute. But I'm thinking to myself, who am I bringing on to change the game yes. right now? Who has proved themselves in the last couple of games? Remind you, we barely won any games except for the Wolves game. And that was from a, what, 18-year-old <laughs> kid? So who would you bring on to change the game? Donny van der Beek hasn't covered himself yep. in glory. So who is he coming on for? What's he going to change? Uh, Marcus Rashford wasn't having a good game. Okay, who do we bring on? We've got Dan James and Ahmed Diallo. Yep. Okay, so not, you know, stonewall starters or anything like that. They didn't do enough in the games that they played to show that they should come on. Maybe Dan James in the Wolves game with a nice cross, but apart from that, not much else. So I'm looking at that bench and I'm thinking, you know what? Am I making a sub for the sake of making a sub? Because that's usually what happens in the 70th or 80th minute. Let's not do that. Let's just go with our starters because they're they're there and these guys have the quality and are world-class. They could change a game on a moment's notice. Now, later on in the game, when the legs started to tire, you could start to see spaces develop in the midfield where they were getting the ball and they were able to run quite a few yards before somebody came into contact. And that's a sign of tiredness. There's only so much Scott McTominay could do by himself. And that's where I'm like, all right, we need someone to protect the defense a little bit because there's a little bit too much space. And that's where Fred came in. And I thought that was the right sub, to be honest with you. And so for all those people complaining, Vivek, give me your thoughts if, I, if I'm completely out of touch here. But like, what should we have done with these substitutes and who should have come on? I'm completely with you because I think early in the second half, I was thinking Rashford is having a, a shocker. You could take him off. Um, and But I was thinking of it differently. I was thinking you bring Fred on for him and you move Pogba into that left-sided position. And But at that point, I'm thinking about scoring the equalizer, winning the game, that type of thing. But the later the match goes, I'm leaning towards keeping Rashford on because I want the penalty option. And that's the other complicated aspect of it as well. So then my thinking was almost to the point where now I'm saying... Maybe Fred comes on for a guy like Lindelof and you put McTominay as a center back. Because mm-hmm. now I'm thinking, okay, who, who can help out in the midfield and take a penalty if need be as well? Who, or who you'd at least prefer to take a penalty over Lindelof. And so that's the way I was, uh, I was viewing it. Um, eventually. Honestly, I thought, I, I thought the game was there to be won because you... You know what? Usually when a team is playing for penalties like Villarreal was, they're going to be, you know, sixes and sevens. You apply a little bit of pressure at the back and the nerves start to show. And I thought that's where United missed a trick and they could have been a little bit more aggressive. And that's where I go back to the players. That's where I put it on the players. The players were not good enough on this day. When you look at how easily we talked about how Villarreal is the seventh placed team in La Liga. When you look at how easily they dispatched Real Sociedad, the fifth place team in La Liga. You, when you look at how easily they dispatched Granada, the ninth place team in La Liga. This absolutely should not have been made to look as difficult as it was. And so I think the players fell well short. And we saw the disappointment at the end of the match. And I frankly think, and I hope, 
that the mentality of the Bruno who we saw in tears and the disappointment of Pogba, I hope they're the ones who look themselves in the mirror and say, I am feeling this because I wasn't good enough. These are the occasions where I am supposed to lift my team to greater heights and help usher in that new era by saying we have a trophy in the bag now and I wasn't good enough. So I think there's plenty of blame to go around. And I think, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Vivek. Like, players need to take some blame for themselves. Anybody who's calling for Ole's head, they need to check themselves at the door because what would you have asked for in this team? Hey, you were third place last season. Okay, you're second place this season. Okay, there's progress in the right direction. You didn't get the signings you wanted last season. Despite that, you still improved. Imagine what would happen if you had the signings. You now actually have an identity. The team has a style of playing. Like, aren't these things you want uh, as a fan? Yeah, we want trophies. But, you know, you can't snap your fingers, spend 220 million pounds and then get a trophy. I mean, Chelsea are trying to do that. Let's see if it works. So, so I mean, these are things like you have to take into consideration. That being said, I'm completely with you on that side of it. The other side of it is how we have to measure next season. And the other side of it is you were outclassed by Unai Emery in this final. You have four other semifinal defeats to your name where you fell short of expectations and expectations in terms of your performance on the pitch. The result is one thing. The performance being inadequate is another. You have that. You have crashing out of the Champions League after being in a commanding position after winning those first two that were arguably the two toughest matches against PSG Mm -hmm. and Leipzig. So... You needed one point to qualify, yeah. So that's the other side of it, where now you have to show growth in those aspects next season. So when I look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer next season, I am going to ask myself the question of basically a basketball question. Are you an 82-game coach or are you a 16-game coach? Can you win those big playoff games? Can you make those key decisions at the right moments that lift your team to victory? Vivek, a simple question for you. If Ole doesn't win a trophy next season, do you think he should still be there? The Jose Mourinho answer is it depends. <laughs> it depends. It really depends. Uh, I think it would be very difficult. At the very least, there, there has to be an FA Cup to his name, I think, next season. But I will measure it ultimately, again, on performances and decision-making. If you make the right decisions and the players fail then that's on the players. If you make the right decisions and you don't have the squad depth that everyone is asking for in the summer, then that is on the people above him. So in that regard, I think it really depends. Uh, It's hard to answer that question right now and put it down to strictly trophies. And I think the other part where we defer on this is where we see United. I know you... uh, believe that United absolutely have to be uh, in line to win the Premier League next season. And I guess to simplify my views on how I view a contender for the Premier League is 
can I honestly expect that team to be competing for the semifinals of the Champions League? I think that's how good you have to be as a team to be a serious contender for the for, for the Premier League. And so when I look at the United team right now, I don't see that. And so I still see them as, okay, what are the steps they are going to take to get to the level of a Chelsea or Liverpool and a Man City? Actually, you know what? Let's leave out Chelsea. Liverpool and Man City. I think those are the two main targets. I still think Liverpool at full strength with Van Dijk back will be a very difficult team to contend with. Fair enough. The way I see this is I think Ole needs to win one trophy next season. The only saving grace I'll give him if he doesn't win a trophy next season is if we don't make any signings this summer, don't expect him to win. Oh, 100%. Because that's just an unrealistic explanation. Yeah. And that's when you you better get somebody up who's replacing Ed Woodward. We still don't know who that is, by the way. So, So the Glazers... If they want to make nice with the fan base, they better start doing that. Yeah. So I think, you know, having thought this through now, I'll I'll put it this way. I obviously want to see United win a trophy, but if they crash out of the Champions League, say in the quarterfinals to Bayern Munich and are able to hold their head high over the two legs, I'm not going to be too upset about that. If they lose an FA Cup final to Manchester City, or potentially even Liverpool, I'm not going to be too upset about that. And so that's where I say it really you know, depends on what that specific match comes down to. I think we've covered a lot here. The final thing, I just want to get back to that penalty shootout. I know people will lay a lot on David De Gea. When you come into the penalty shootout having conceded 25 out of 25, and now you can make that 36 out of 36. You can say there's definitely improvements that need to be made as a penalty saver, right? Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say about a lot of people pointing to Dean Henderson's 42% penalty save rate, let's keep in mind that is based off a sample size of 19 penalties. David De Gea has faced 64 penalties and his save rate is 17%. On average, penalties are scored you know, close to 80%. So even over the course of his career, you would say he's about average, right? Obviously, the trend of late is not good. I absolutely agree with that. But I think we need to cut him some slack here and and, and we need to cut Ole some slack in terms of thinking that that was an automatic decision to be made in terms of Henderson for uh, De Gea. I think we maybe look at the decision that Louis van Gaal made those years ago in the 2014 World Cup where he brings on Tim Krul for Jasper Sillison and he makes those saves uh, against Costa Rica. But let's face it, if it was such an easy decision, Louis van Gaal would have made that same decision the very next match when they played Argentina in the semifinals. He stuck with Sillison for that match. Yeah, no, Vivek, you made some fantastic points. There's two points that I want to make before, before we end. In your stats that you were talking about where you say penalties are scored 80% of the time, it's not that the other 20% are saved either. Some of them just missed the target. How many times did players miss the target in the penalty shootout that we just witnessed? Zero. All 22 shots were on target. That is outstanding. Because with the nerves and everything, it's very easy to miss the target. 
that's something that's important to take into account as well. Before you go to the second point, I would just quickly add, not only were they on target, they were most of them were literally on a bullseye. And for players who didn't even kick a ball, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shout out to Juan Mata and Alex Tellez to come in, you know, completely fresh, not having t- taken a touch and to absolutely find the corners. I mean, that that's really, really impressive. Yeah, and, and, and my second point, Vivek, and one of the reasons why I wanted to to start a podcast and start it with you is that I, I wanted to not just get sucked in to the euphoria, whether it's on the win or, you know, just get sucked into when the negativity, when it's a loss and just heap all the pressure on one player, make one person a scapegoat, whether it's the coach or whatever, it's to bring a bit of perspective. And I really hope that people listen and understand this isn't all on Ole. This isn't all on De Gea. And I hope the points that we've made help under- help everybody understand how at the end of the day, there's a lot of responsibility on the manager, but there's also on the players. And it's up to them to show up for the occasion. And if you don't, hey, you're playing against another world-class side that made it to the finals because they beat a lot of good teams as well. So don't forget that. I think that's a good note to wrap up on, Carl. At the end of the day... We have to congratulate Villarreal, their first major trophy in 93 years of existence. That's a big-time accomplishment for Unai Emery and the players and everyone involved. And so kudos to them. You, you, you tip your hat. Fair play. And for us, you know, that wraps up a solid season of work. You know, I think uh, when we started this out, we wanted to bring those conversations that we always have to the airwaves and see if people wanted to join in and uh, listen in on what we talk about. And I hope that the people who have listened in have enjoyed it and will continue the support as we continue into the next season. We'll obviously take a bit of a break here and (laughs) relax after 59 episodes in the past. What is it? We're at seven months. So uh yeah it's been a lot and uh you know we we might change up some things and freshen things up but i think it's been a blast and after the break we will definitely get into those fun off-season decisions and maybe even uh see how some of those united players are performing at the euros yeah definitely look forward to our review on the season and the players as well and who we think would be good fits because uh, i think you'll enjoy those episodes a reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after. Well, it's not going to be every match. Like we said, we're going to be breaking down the season. We're going to be reviewing individual performances. So you can look out for that uh, in the coming weeks. Your reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. And make sure you tell your friends about it if you enjoyed it as well. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.